I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle here on The Dave Kittle Show, practice owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently acquiring physical therapy practices in New York and New Jersey. Today, we have a colleague that I've known and met many years ago, Bob Babb. He is a physical therapist, the founder and previous CEO of Physical Therapy and Wellness Institute in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. They recently had, over the past couple of years, uh, through COVID, I guess it was before COVID, merged and partnered with Ivy Rehab. At the time, they had nine locations that were established, two that were De novo, so basically 11 locations at the time of that merger and that partnership. First of all, Bob, welcome on. How you doing? Thank you so much, David. I'm thrilled to be here and excited to be here as well. Excellent. So I appreciate your time. We'll get right into your background, your story, um, really quick in terms of what would be the most pressing and potentially helpful for other practice owners going through this process, even thinking about exiting, thinking about selling some or all of their practice. So tell us when you sold recently. What was the year date that you eventually, the deal completed? And let's just start with that. And then we'll get into your decision-making process leading up to that. Sure. We completed the deal in February, February 1st of 2019, David. And that was about a two or three-year process. But you can really say that was really a 19-year process because that's how old our clinic was. So, But during the last two years is when we had the momentum and given us the opportunity to go out and, and, and talk to people and see what opportunities were out there. Got it. And then you had mentioned the pre-interview, we did some uh, emailing back and forth. We were talking about your uh, your background and thinking about and kind of just researching the market, knowing what's out there. So you mentioned that you had kind of explored somewhere between the past five or 15 years of, you said every time you went to PPS, you were for sale in a way. And maybe that was, maybe you were actually in that mindset, like you were either serious or you were just testing the market. You were kind of just seeing what was out there. And then also you mentioned that you were doing that so you could kind of learn the process. You were learning what the buyers out there actually cared about, what was important to them. And then maybe you could improve your clinic year over year to you know improve things for the long run. Yeah. You know, David, you, uh, you get the keys of the kingdom when you open up your own practice and you have a lot of responsibilities. You wear a lot of hats, but one of the hats that you wear is a leadership hat to help people in their careers and and make sure they're taken care of because they're taking care of the practice and taking care of you. So that was very important to us. And because of that, I think the mindset was, I used to be part of the aquatic physical therapy section because my previous practice was physical therapy in the water. Uh, so we, we did a lot of work with them Was a programming chair for the aquatic section for a year or two. And then when I opened up my own practice, I had left that and said, I want to go to PPS every year. I'd been there one or two times, but now it's my full commitment to it. But every time I had gone, I think the mindset was our business is up for sale so we can understand what's important to potential buyers, what's important, what are best practices, whatever. We never even knew what a KPI was until three, four years ago. 
when we started asking some of the questions, although we kept numbers, we never called them a KPI. So, David, I'd go to PPS and I'd, you know, I'd raise my hand sometimes and ask questions, but never ask what a KPI was. So I never brought it back to my group to understand that. So it was uh, it was an amazing process that really took a lot of time. And I think every business owner should shift their mindset to understand that this is part of your responsibility as a leader, that you need to understand what opportunities are for the business, what opportunities are for your people as you continue to grow. Got it. Makes sense. And, and it depends certainly on the practice owner. If they're, I mean, you're, you're business savvy, you have real estate, maybe there's other practice owners that are more or less business savvy than you. If you're speaking to a practice owner out there, PT, OT, practice owner, they've been in business for eight, 10 years plus do you suggest that they research that they get a broker or some type of investment banker, someone that can help them with the negotiations and the process? Again, it always depends. But what would be your suggestion? Yeah, that's a that's a twofold answer. And the first one is depending on where you are in your with your business IQ or your emotional IQ, as we talked about before. So my business IQ, I depend on people around me. I, I mean, half the time, I feel like I don't know what's going on inside my practice because you give people the keys as you build trust and you build and you give them the autonomy to do their job. And because of that, for us, what was best for us was find someone who was an expert in the field of physical therapy that understood what mergers and acquisitions look like in a professional way. So I think that was best for us, but maybe not best for everybody. We have a local organization that I'm friendly with, and, and they chose to hire a CEO and chose to hire a CFO, which is fine, not an area that we thought was sustainable to us for a long term. Got it. And I, and I want to give them a shout out. Let's go into who you guys use, who PTW, your whole practice, who was your longtime broker consultant advisor through this whole process? Yeah. So Martin, uh, Martin Advisors used to be called Martin Acquisitions, and it's Paul Martin. And I met Paul back in 2000, or I'm sorry, 1995, maybe, or 1994. And it was a time when we had purchased a health club in my old practice. I'd run four physical therapy practices inside health clubs. And when we purchased this health club, and we had asked Paul, he had a, at the time he had, had 19 practices, and we had asked him that we're going to move across the hallway, what would you like to do? Because we're now going to have two physical therapy clinics and you still have six months on your leash you can stay, but it's going to be a bit awkward. And Paul said, just give us 60 days. And he had left and, and then he sold his practice, became an advisor. And a year later, I think I called him up for a cup of coffee at High Hop in Cherry Hill. And we had a chance to talk. And since then, we probably talked once a year or twice a year, at the very least, at PPS. And when it came time for us to, to identify someone, David, you know, you, this business that we're in and, and this world that we're in is built on relationships. And we had the strongest relationship with, with Paul and Tom Carden, who's also uh, his partner in that practice as well. So um, they ended up representing us and bringing us to the table and for the opportunities that we had. Awesome. Yeah. Shout out to Paul Martin. I'm going to try to get him on the podcast. I, like I said to you, I, I reached out to him over LinkedIn to, uh, to get him on here. So hopefully we can get him on for an interview. Yeah. So other than that component of having a broker, so you had someone that not only that you've known for years that you liked and respected in your corner, what else did you need to prepare? Was Did you, whether it was personal accountants or lawyers, or it was a firm to represent the entire company, what are, what are some of the other... Um, big moving blocks there that other practice owners should think about and consider if they're going to do this down the road? 
Yeah. I'm a storyteller. So I'm going to tell you one story. We had had an attorney, a friend of mine who was a patient of, of our organization. And I had met him 15 years prior and he was, he became a good friend of mine, became our legal expert. And at, at the very beginning of the process, he was our, he was our legal guy. And what I learned about legal representation was this fellow, as kind as he was and a good mentor of mine, was very protective of me. And I loved that about him when I needed that. But what I needed was someone who could play in a gray area a little bit because that's what a merger and acquisition is. There's no guarantee in many of your and in many of the dotted lines at the sign. And what the what what my original friend and attorney wanted was get more guarantees and more protection for Bob and and the crew. But I knew that there were areas that you just have to work on trust and intuition. So we had ended up having to, I called him up one day and he said, you're firing me. I said, no, I'm not firing you, but I think I have to find someone, an attorney that works in the merger and acquisition field in our industry. So which led us to who we used during this process as well. So that was one big blip that we had, but I really think David, that it comes down to, you know, for us, we realized we had to get our, we had five things that we wanted to work on. And maybe five years prior to, I'd sit down at the staff meetings with my partner. We had had one partner we asked to leave our practice. And once he had left our practice and we bought him out in 2015, my business partner at the time, I'd said to Jim, is now the time. And I think when I started going to PPS with a little bit more intensity and interacting a little bit more and asking a few more questions, that's when things started to get serious. And what I, what I realized during that moment was that we had to get our financials stronger. They had to be more industry specific. We had to work on these things like KPIs coming out of our financials. We had to, uh, secondly, we had to start to build our culture a little bit stronger. We had to invest in our people. We had to give them a better health plan. We had to give them more things in that culture. We used to have a culture day that we started in 2015, and it was a day of celebration. We rented out a hotel, and we had a, a great time doing lots of activities and, and talking about big principles and vision all the time. So the culture was something that we had built on. And for me personally, I, I realized the third thing was I, I start working on the business. And that's a hard thing when you decide that your practice maybe is up for the next level to pull yourself out when you run into people at the local convenience store on a regular basis and they say, oh, I have a prescription in hand and that's hard to give up. So you have to work that trust with your colleagues around you and, and in a sense, sell where we selling ourselves. We have to sell our people around us as well. And when you get that phone call and say, I'm going to put you on with my colleague, he's better than me. He's a doctor of physical therapy and I'm an old guy. So I've many times had to make that sell get out of my practice. And then finally, I think uh, we had to get out in the community a whole lot more and build our build our brand in the community. And we did so many things along those lines in the last five, six years that I'm very proud of some of the work that we've done and some of the contributions we made. So, so that last piece, like a, a marketing initiative in terms of getting out in the community, I mean, your area is tough in terms of other other practices, other chain, you know, other competitions. So what, are, what were some of those marketing pieces or community pieces yeah. that were helping? Great question. I think the biggest thing that we had done, David, was we decided to do a, uh, you know, Philadelphia is known for the Broad Street Run. It's a 10 mile run that they do in the fall. And most people that are runners want to do it because it's a beautiful run through the city. But what we decided to do was uh, my attorney friend had said, you cannot call it the Lansdale Broad Street Run because we're on Broad Street in Lansdale. And I said, well, let's call it the Broad Street Rerun. So we started doing the Broad Street Rerun a week after the Broad Street Run. And it's actually in May. 
And we did it for seven consecutive years. And we raised $250,000 for the local uh, hemophilia association. And then for two years, we also contributed to the local schools for scholarships for uh, kids going on to college. So through the Chamber of Commerce. So we were very involved with Chamber of Commerce, very involved in the community. Our name was out there for all the runners. And there was a, you know one run we had had almost 1,100 runners. So we were just thrilled with some of the work we'd done there. But because of that, each time you make a connection in the community and ask for sponsorship, you're connecting with another business to business relationship. Sometimes we forget that as business owners. It's not just our customers are not just the patients and the doctors, but they're also potential customers, business to business. And that I think that really propelled us to another level. We have 10 physical therapy clinics in Lansdale within five miles. So we had a lot of a lot of work to do to get to a higher level and become more recognizable than any other brand. Wow, that's awesome. So just to touch on a few points before. So a suggestion to other practice owners listening to this would be making sure that they have either an attorney or someone that has a lot more experience in physical therapy. So we we just had another, we had a broker on a couple of different brokers and like one broker specializes in physical therapy another broker specializes in dental practices. So having someone in your corner for as a practice owner that has experience in going through these transactions because it'll probably be more efficient. There's just a lot more experience there. So you, your bill might even be you know, your bill, your, your legal bill might even be potentially less because your the attorney is not having to spin their wheels if they don't have a lot of experience in this type of a transaction. Really quick, when you guys exited or, or partnered with Ivy, approximately how many employees did you have at that time? Either, you know, part-time, full-time? Yeah, part-time, full-time, we had a mid-80s. We had uh, 81 to 84 employees or so. And, and um, and they, they listen, it was a nice transition that we they took on all of them and and most of them are still with the organization. Whenever there's change, many employees choose to to go on and do something other things. So we had lost some folks. I think that's a natural part of it. I think there were some people that said we're now no longer the small guys on the road. It's not now not a it's not a now a mom and pop clinic. We're now part of a corporate culture. And in, in essence, we became part of a part of a bigger bureaucracy. And that was okay. We knew that that was going to happen. I've been through big bureaucracy. I'm a U.S. Navy guy. I knew what big bureaucracies were. I know the advantages of it and the disadvantages of it. So, you know, that was my job to work that and really massage that so everyone understood the advantages and the opportunities that were there. Got it. And then in terms of your experience in speaking more seriously with potential buyers, you had mentioned when we previously talked that you got a little bit deeper into conversations with one potential buyer. And then for a reason that the audience can reach out to you if they want to talk more about how one of these conversations could potentially fizzle out or or not develop further. But you guys were about a month in due diligence with one potential buyer. It just didn't work out. And then eventually you guys, maybe Paul helped you find or connect you to, to uh, Ivy. But when you are in that process... Were you reaching out to any potential buyers? Were the buyers already, you know, contacting you guys? Was Paul helping with getting, you know, non-binding letter of intent, non-binding term sheets, trying to get more offers and, and develop some competition there? Yeah. So that's seven questions in one sentence that you just had, David. So I will say this. I'm going to think back to that moment where we were about a month into it and we had signed a letter of intent and we had been through a due diligence. We saw the 100 day plan. We discussed the 100 day plan. We were that far into it and we were excited. And what had happened was a side. It was almost a side comment. And where my my business partner, Jim, and he and I looked at each other after the meeting and scratched our head and said, did we just feel that 
and hear that. And I think it made us, it really raised some red flags about some previous conversations we had had as well to where uh, we called up uh, Tom Carden and, and Paul the next day and said, uh, guys, this is, this, this isn't going to work. And uh, I, you know, I, that, that's a hard position to be in. That's a really uncomfortable to people. And then what had happened was Paul then went, or uh, Tom then went back to the market and said, Bob and Jim are still available and, and took us to right back to Ivy and Ivy had had a lot of interest at the beginning. And while we were fortunate and blessed that, that Troy and, and Michael Rucker and, and the leadership at Ivy and Jeremy uh, were just fantastic people to work with and, and take care of the people. Got it. And then in, in terms of uh, Paul connecting you with any, there was no bidding war. There was no competition. It was like, once you guys moved on from that, the first potential buyer, you kind of liked how it was with Ivy communicating with the team. It wasn't like you were, you know, trying to play different offers off each other or something like that. Yeah, no, I don't think that. I don't think Tom would, Tom would, Tom and Paul were very good at that. But what you do get for folks that are thinking about this process, it's a, it's a cool thing. You get a spreadsheet and on the spreadsheet is the seven, eight, nine, ten people, if you're lucky, organizations that might have interest in your organization and doing a merger or acquisition. And what you see is line items and line items and line items going all the way down in a vertical way that will tell you and compare and help you understand. And then you get the opportunity to meet them. And many flew in for an hour or two at the airport. And uh, some we met for dinner, some we met for lunch, and we had the chance to get the no. So that get the no period may have taken another six months. So when I say it was a two, two and a half year process, that's part of it as well. Sure. And uh, when you were at that point, were you able to speak with someone from Ivy's network that was an owner of maybe around your size that they had maybe acquired a year or two or three years before that for you to yeah. be able to interface with them? And say, hey, how is it going? You know, did they live up to what they said they would do on the integration side? You know, post acquisition side. Yeah, I think we had done that with you know with three or four. I think when when we skinned it down to three or four, we made then our own due diligence phone calls to the, or to who they suggested, or or even you know some people we knew in the industry down in that market. We talked to them as well, so we did our homework as well. It is a lot of homework. It is a lot of work. It's emotional. It is if you let it become part of what you're doing on an everyday basis, it will overwhelm you. So which is why you have to spread it out and work on it in pieces. And some days, you know, I, I would say to Jim, we can't even talk this. <laughs> I just saw 15 patients and some days we were able to put a whole lot of energy into it. But the process is long. Got it. And around what time did you tell your staff and your team, maybe when you tell them that you were when this was happening, were they in the know during the process, late in the process, or did you wait until after it was, you know, completed when you then told all of your physical therapists and all of your staff? Yeah, we had, a, we had had four or five folks, our business manager, our accountant, our bookkeeper, our credentialing. Our, so, so we had had four or five people that, that were in the know that were, that were helping us communicate and share materials and share share a lot of the work that we had needed to do to work with Ivy. And then, and then we had a town hall meeting with Ivy, rented out a hotel and Ivy executive leadership came down and introduced themselves. And I opened up and said, here's, uh, you may have seen, you may have heard, here's what we're doing. And I think by that time, David, there'd been some whispers already. And I think we've made it clear transparently 
two or three years later that we were searching for opportunity. We always talked about it. We always came back from PPS and said, this is what's happening in our industry. This is what potentially could happen to us. So I never wanted it to be a surprise. And I don't think it was a surprise to anybody. Everyone knew that we were there was a possibility we may make this move. Got it. And then at the time you, you know, all these years, this process, you were learning more, you were learning about KPIs, what's important to buyers. When did you start learning about EBITDA and the, you know, the, the, the real true, a lot of the metrics that the buyers are talking about and ultimately how a practice like yours is valued? Was that something that Paul helped you with? Yeah. And that's a big surprise. Uh, so when you sit down and you, and you share financials and you, and you sit down with Paul and you sit down with Tom, you look at the financials and, and you go through the, the, the EBITDA process and you go through understanding what the value of your practice is potentially. And then, you know, it will sometimes just, you know, make you just say, wow, this, this isn't why we do, do what we do. This isn't why we started what we started, but it is nice to know. And I had had a son who is now a chef in Bozeman, Montana. I have a son who lives with us now, works at physical therapy and Ivy a little bit as an aide and is going to school at night and doing some other things. And I got a, a daughter. None of them had wanted to do physical therapy. So I think that also, to me, was one of the factors that said, well, I, I can't pass this to legacy. What am I going to do with it? I can sell it to the employees. That became way too complicated for me to understand and it, I thought that this is probably our best opportunity. So I think when we got to the Tom and we got to the Paul and the broker, the education process exponentially increased to the point where well, we were learning and it was like drinking from a fire hose, you know, for the knowledge coming in. You mentioned when you were talking about EBITDA just now, you mentioned a surprise. So a good surprise, a bad surprise. Were you thinking, yeah. did, did you previously think that practices were going to be sold on a um, uh, a multiple of revenue instead of net profit after addbacks and all that or I never asked those questions David and you know going to PPS all these years about my practice specifically I would ask in general and it wasn't until I sat down with those guys and they put the hard numbers together and I was like wow I was just blown away that anything I'd ever done was potentially worth something and for it to be worth that number was just something that just you know still today have difficulty breathing when I think about what was built and what we were able to do. And it wasn't anything with intention. It was just following what felt good, following our passion, following what worked. We work really hard and we were really good at it. So I think that's why the, the surprise happened. There were things that a year prior to, as you know, Tom and Paul and the group, the group had worked with us for a while. They, they said, here's some things that you want to clean up. We were in the middle of a Medicare audit. And when Ivy had bought in their audit or their compliance person to look over some of our charts, it became a done deal when we got the Medicare audit back. And the Medicare audit said, super clean, one of the best audits we've ever had. And uh, we shared that letter with Ivy and Ivy said, nice. well, compliance is done. So we, <laughs> we, were, we were sweating a little bit with the compliance that Ivy had hired somebody out from outside to come in and, and take a look at our thing. So I spent two Saturday mornings with her going over our notes and how we do our things that we do a little different than what they do uh, where she was from. So when we got that letter, it just ended it all. Got it. And then in terms of, obviously, we're not going to talk about the dollar amount that's sensitive to you, that's sensitive to Ivy and all that. But in terms of gross scale, so you said around, I think you said 80, 90 employees at the time, you had nine locations that were up and running for X amount of years, two that were de novo. Based on that scale, I mean, that that's obviously multiple millions. And we don't have to talk about the number, but in terms of 
you know, were you surprised on the EBITDA number that you guys eventually came through? And, you know, after adjustments, after addbacks, was that something that, again, Paul was helping with as industry standard? And there's always a sliding scale in terms of the EBITDA multiple. But how did you kind of factor in that process? It was really like the numbers were what they were at that time. There wasn't really much for you to change or, or configure at that point. David, I've listened to you enough. When you talk about EBITDA to make it simple, you talk about your net revenue. Is in essence, when you finally get down to the bottom line, and you know you, that's essentially there's addbacks and subtractions. And we had run our practice at completely away from any personal expenses, and many many practice owners don't run their practice right. that way. Great. So or, yeah. so everything for us was so clean; it was very transparent. When we were finally done, there really were no surprises when we really looked at the EBITDA and then we looked at the multiples. So it was really a matter of what the multiples were, who valued us the most and who we valued the most. And that came really the discussion became not so much around EBITDA, but it became around the multiples. Got it. And then in terms of the transition, it sounded like you mentioned Ivy wanted you there for, was it a year or two during the transition? Was there a specific timeline that you could share? Yeah, no, no, Ivy, Ivy was very welcoming and would have, I'd still be there. And I had a good t- conversation with Tori. We were driving around the Philly market one day and he said, why, why are you leaving in, in March of 21? And I still don't know why I followed freedom. I followed, I worked very hard to try to get to a point where you can make your choice. That's why we all go into practice. And I still want to be able to make the choice on what I do on an everyday basis. And it was a classic model of an old guy and a young guy with the leadership. So Jim at the time was 42, 43. I at the time was 58, 59. And I had a father who had passed away when he was 64 years old. And I don't want to be the guy who's 64 and pass away and have no retirement opportunity. So that was part of my motive to be able to get out and go out. And plus, I have a wife who worked very, very hard. Anybody that's the practice owner knows that you spend sometimes 60, 70, 80 hours and working on, on the business and not enough time in the family. So I was very lucky to have her as a, uh, as a, really my, my rock. And when we opened up our practice, David, just how much I owe to her is we knew that we were going to struggle. We took out a big loan. We took a big chance on a big building, opening a practice that became a big practice, but it was very small practice when you open up. And when you, she had said, we'll eat peanut butter and jelly until we get it right. That to me gave me all the courage I needed to be able to go out and get this thing done. And then, Fast forward into you know to 2019, and then you guys get rewarded. Now you can travel anytime you want. You can go yeah. anywhere you want. You can do anything. You know, you yeah. can buy more real estate. You could sell real estate. You could do whatever, right? Exactly. So I think that's wise for me. It gave me the opportunity to have freedom to go out and do some other things now outside the realm and, and the pressures of, of owning a business at that level. In, in terms of, so you were there. Was did you agree to a specific timeline? Was it like they want you there yeah. for a year? Did you yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you were. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know you had said that. So no, there was no, there was really no, I think it was two years. We had all all signed a two-year contract, but then it was ongoing. And when I got to the two-year mark, I think I had an opportunity to talk to Troy and I said, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to bail out. And and we had a good discussion about the why. And and, and I would have, listen, it's hard to find people right now in the market. And we know that anyone that's hiring in the physical therapy market knows how hard it is to get a physical therapist, especially with some experience and leadership level. So I think I would have had, to, I would still be there if it was, if it wasn't for my own doing. And did you have any earnout that was tied to that two years? Like if you left it one year, would you have left any money on the table or no? 
No, sir. No, I just would have probably lost some salary. But yeah, no. I, yeah, I had, other, other than salary. Got it. Yeah, other salary. Yeah. So that that leads so that's actually to give clarity to the listener, the one listener that might be there is that there is meaning that nobody wants to hear me. They want to hear you. So we had a you have an employment contract and you have you have the deal. So there's two different things that you sign at the end when it's all consummated. Right. That makes sense. And Ivy is bigger in scale, whereas maybe a smaller buyer will want an owner like you to stay for a year or two or more. It also depends on the financial strength of the practice, but they might need some owner like you potentially to stay longer, either as part of like seller's finance, like part of an earnout or something like that, where in some cases, 20, 30 or some percent of the transaction could actually be part of an earnout. And then it would make a little bit more sense for that owner to stick around because they have actually have to continue to make things work after the close, you know, as part of the transition. Yeah. And I think that's important to know in today's, today's job market is it's, I would think just about everybody's looking for the senior leadership to stay for a while. It's a pretty important part of the process. So you have a, your role amplifies during that, that first year of the merger. So to be able to mix the cultures so that there's, there's always going to be some conflict, but so that you can work that and get people to see and, and cast a vision that is consistent with with what the big mothership, and I used to say the mothership is here, we're down here with other brands, but we're all really striving for the same thing. And that comes down to your, you know, your mission and your values. We had shared missions and shared values. I think that that's why we, we clicked well. Uh, so that's a very important process for the senior leadership during that time. And that is a strong consideration for anybody going through merger and acquisition. I think it's important that they stay. During the transition after the deal was closed and you were sticking around, what was your day-to-day? Were you treating any patients at all? Were you going into the office five days a week? Were you interacting with staff? Were you going into the office only once or twice a week? What was like the day-to-day? Yeah, no, I was an um, I'm the uh, five o'clock in the morning guy and you know, usually cutting out at four o'clock, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon guy. So I was always there first and uh, opening the doors and you know, greeting people and greeting staff and huddling with people. So I was in the office every day, even during COVID. It was an important part of what I do. So that part of it was easy and making sure that people were taken care of. That was probably most important. And remind me again, the date, it was 2019 when the deal closed. Yes. What was the date in 2019? Uh, uh, February 1st of 2019. Okay. So then about a year and a month later, COVID happens, which is a complete rarity, something that never happened in your whole lifetime. How did that factor in? I mean, at that point, it was like you probably, in hindsight, looked and were like, thank goodness that you already completed that deal because the value of your practice would have probably taken a hit and it would have yeah. taken you maybe another year or two to recover back to that valuation, right? We were very lucky timing-wise. You're right. Very lucky that the timing was uh, was perfect for us. And like anybody, we were up to maybe 35,000, 40,000 visits a year. And, and then we were continuing, we were growing pretty rapidly with Ivy helping us fuel that at that point. And to see that go down, David, was, was a very difficult time. March 20th is when we had to furlough our people and uh, some people and making those phone calls and talking to the folks. I come home, that's my wife's birthday. And I'd come home to make her dinner on a Friday afternoon, March 20th. And 
I remember never feeling worse than I ever felt on that day, just wow. to talk to people. And fortunately, it only some people came back three weeks later. Some people came back four, le- four weeks later, but everybody came back within a, a short period of time. So we were very lucky. But to see the business go down that fast was a hard time. A lot of people had you know, felt that way about their stock market and their retirement plans. And we felt that way about our business and, and felt like we owed, you know, quite frankly, it was out of our control, but you can only control what you can control. But what we could control was continuing to make connections, continuing to increasing our telehealth activity, which was brand new to us, working on that like you know, very hard early in the morning and working and, and all of us meeting and, and working on this telehealth idea and, and training people at a quick pace. That became our priority in a very short period of time. Wow. Yeah, you had to learn as every owner had to, you know, adjust and, and adapt on the fly during that time. We we were going out in space suits, you know, with a with a mask and, and gloves and going out to people's homes because people needed therapy. And we were trying to, you know, we're problem solvers and we're trying to, you know, solve folks' problems with a knee replacement that still needed someone to push on the knee, still needed some help, you know, getting around the house. And we had to find ways to get that done. So we became uh, really, to the truest sense, we became problem solvers more than physical therapists. Well, that's great. I think that's a perfect place to pause. I would love to have you come back in the future and maybe chat about the pros and cons of a practice owner buying real estate versus a practice owner who just, you know, has is acquiring or, or in your case, building multiple locations over your career and is just going to be a leaseholder and not by real estate. Now, obviously, so I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Real estate is very expensive in New York City and many cities, San Francisco, Chicago, et cetera. And you guys are in the Philly area, Lansdale, right outside the city. And you know, real estate over the years, probably a little bit um, more accessible. But I would love to chat more about that or, or any other topics that you think would uh, be helpful. Yeah, would be happy to. This is uh, me coming out of the cave in a sense, David, over the past three months, because uh, we were offline right now, I, I guess, but we had had a, a, some challenging times last year, surprised on us, uh, you know, with some uh, some family things. Because of that, uh, the year of, of 2021 was dedicated quite a bit to that. So it's kind of nice now that we're more stable and we're able to, you know, I'm able to get out and reconnect with people a little bit more. That's awesome. Well, Bob, thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, love to have you back in the future. And we all really appreciate you sharing your story so that other practice owners can kind of hear about these conversations that, like you said, usually only happen at PPS and platforms and podcasts and shows like this can get these stories and get that out there in front of more practice owners so that they know and they they know what's possible. They can see, you know, there's different ways to grow. There's different ways to expand. There's different ways to, you know, cash in or check out or retire or start the next chapter of their life. So regardless of what scale they're at. So I appreciate your time. Appreciate the story. Thank you, David. We're in a great industry with great people making a huge difference. So thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at Dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D A V E at C O N C I E R G E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646 781 8884.